big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name's Marion Rose and welcome to the Father's Podcast Part 2. And today I have with me, instead of Lael, I have Michael here. So Michael is the father of our children. We have an 18-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old son. And Michael has eight-year-old twins with his partner, Ruth. We've been divorced for 10 years now and... Happily divorced. Happily divorced. We've gone really well. (laughs) It's been a really wonderful um, divorce. We didn't have a ceremony for the divorce, I don't think. It's been very, very happy. Uh, So I would say we're great friends or great, we have a really enjoyable connection. So I'm really looking forward to getting this opportunity to talk with you today, Michael, this evening, about fatherhood aware parenting anything else that we Mm. might talk about yeah shall we begin at the beginning with aware parenting let's talk about lana so lana is 18 and a half now and i came across aware parenting when i was pregnant with her and really resonated with it and was going to definitely do all the aspects of aware parenting, uh, which I did all, we did all of the aspects, but we didn't do the listening to feelings part for the first three months. We did a lot of bouncing her on, uh, sitting her on our lap and bouncing her on a ball a and singing. Jiggling. A lot jiggling. Do you remember we did, uh, uh, what was the song we sang? Horsey? No, I can't remember what the song was. Anyway, we did a lot of that kind of thing. I did a lot of feeding her. I loved feeding her. But then it, it started to become very clear that that she did have some feelings to express that we weren't listening to. So I, I always remember that day when she was three months old and I'd fed her all evening and we were like, okay, we're going to... She was in the room where she's actually in now. Um, we're going to listen to her feelings and it was a really big thing to to do for the very first time to actually sit and not jiggle not bounce on the ball not feed her but actually be really present and still and simply say we're here and we're listening and which seems like such an obvious thing to do and yet something we were talking about earlier was enchantment and how your culture sings a story to you and it sings it through language, the language of the culture. And in so many ways you become under the spell of something and our culture sings us into relationship with machines and efficiencies and away from the song of the birds and the, the rippling of the waters and the touch of your feet on the soil. And that's what we were under the spell of when we tried not to listen to our daughter's feelings, even though (laughs) as psychologists, trained psychologists, it should have been what we knew to do. 
well, we even, I mean, not so much should, but we knew we'd read about aware parenting. We read about babies having feelings and that was, you know, both our backgrounds had been psychology and all kinds of, we'd done a million, lots of inner work. And yet it was a big, big step, wasn't it? A big step to take to say, we're actually going to, I think it was even acknowledging that she would have painful feelings given that all the amazing wonderful things that we were doing for her to actually say okay we're going to really meet her in this way and also meet ourselves in this way you know, to be willing to to go to that place with her it's, it was a powerful thing to do wasn't it it was incredibly powerful and i was only taking a leap of faith because of your lead i was thinking this is crazy how can you how can you listen to a child cry and not do something about in, it? In our arms. I want to say it's always, always yeah. in our arms. Yes. Yes. That's right. Yeah. And, um, and yet I've cried and wailed and been held by communities of deeply wise men um, in mud pits and in rituals and in all sorts of ways um, being held lovingly and allowed to feel what I want to feel. And it's been the most energizing part of my relationship with myself and my wider community. And it's so interesting that that didn't carry over to parenting and clearly there's something there because you and I talk about how much we see people who do a lot of inner work and a lot of um, community social um, engagements and inner growth and yoga and all these things and and being hippies and, you know, loving the land and being green and all these things. And yet their parenting is, um, is not coherent with that at all. And the parenting advice in our culture is still dominated by that domination culture, the machine culture, the um, control, punish you know, the leftovers of the Christian type. This is born inherently um, bad and must be taken away from the snake and, and, and made, to, you know, always kept away from that dreadful snake that crept into the Garden of Eden. And um, so that's, that's the interesting thing. And going back to that, time and I've told this talk story many times to people who are really on that journey that inner journey with themselves and the story of sitting with Lana for the first time is always so moving and last week my friends good friends daughter um, came to me and she'd asked the week before about feelings and about aware parenting and I told her this story and the next week she came back and she said, I did it. I listened to my child cry. And just like you said, the eyes of the Buddha looked back into my eyes and I knew I was doing the right thing. 
it's amazing. And uh, a good friend that I work with similarly had said, yeah, my wife was looking through at, at, at the child and really saying, shh, and all this sort of thing and I thought why why are we saying shh this is and so I he said I, I picked her up and I touched her belly and I I was just with her and she cried and it was so beautiful and I cried and and it just it feels so right when you try it but that first attempt to step into that world of feeling with this indigenous being because we're all born indigenous and we're born belonging to the earth and willing to hear everything and feel everything and then gradually we're taught what is allowed and what isn't and we become so much smaller so tell me what you remember about well, you know what I'm thinking as you speak is like, uh, as we slow down and have this conversation is uh, that evening is like us being willing to return to our indigeneity. It's like we were willing to almost descend, almost like a mythological journey to actually drop below all our conditioning, all the ways we'd learnt to distract ourselves from our feelings, all the ways we'd learnt to dissociate, yes. all the ways we'd learnt to um, fog, feel, up. fog up, feel scared of feelings, yeah. and all of those things, and to say, I am willing to meet you where you are still at, which is uh, deeply connected with your felt lived experience in the here and now, and to be willing to descend and to meet our baby on really in a way equal terms not that of course we're adults and we have the cognitive capacity and we need to be there to hold our babies and children mm. in order for the expression of feelings to be safe but there's something about really um, going within ourselves at the same time to to meet them in that place where it's like i see you as a soul i see your experience i'm willing to sit with you in your feelings around coming into the world and however however much we aim to be present and connected and, and offer closeness and all again those things that are indigenous cultures know exactly what to do with babies that it's an inherent part of being a human being to feel at times confusion grief uh, frustration overwhelm and to be willing to go there and to meet her in that place. And that's what I remember is from, I needed to, even though I'd, you know, I'd spent however many years before, um, uh, 15 years before that, training as a psychotherapist, being a developmental psychologist, being highly trained in pre and perinatal psychology. And I'd done all of that, even despite that, I was highly trained in observing babies. It was a big leap. Um, mm. to be willing to do that myself with my baby or us to do that with her. Mm. And it's almost like a, a, a door opening or a willingness to, to, to go somewhere else that, that we'd never been before. And mm. I remember at the time I did have a partner. It's like, 
surely she's hungry. And even though I've been feeding her mm. constantly for the last three hours and mm. surely there's something, you know, all the, the fears and of course concerns, we want to make sure we're always meeting our babies mm. and children's needs, but, but being with her in her true expression in ways that we would have never experienced ourselves as babies because our parents didn't know this and didn't have the capacity but to be there with her to sit through the the crescendo of the feelings and to to love her and to feel so I mean I feel it now I feel you know mm. the love and the connection the intimacy of that experience and then to see that she that we've never experienced before only mm. you know in our own inner work and all the our own but never see we'd never seen a baby go through that before had we so right. see her come out the other side literally to come out whilst us just still holding her and being present and seeing the or feeling this the energy change in the room that this this presence and stillness entered the room as if you know, if you've ever been to some retreat for a week long that quality came into the room she gazed into her eyes and she for about I don't know, yeah. 15 minutes, I don't know however long it was, but Just it was like... deeply staring into our eyes with that soft gaze that that um, it goes back as far as it comes forward to meet you. <laughs> it goes into the depths of our allowingness and our... You know, because you, you don't sit and observe, you sit and descend. You fall with the child into the depths of your own soul. And you revisit all those um, unacknowledged wounds and uh, Loneliness and lostness, brokenness, and you just got to keep falling with it. Being willing to. And being, being willing, willing to. to. And it enlarges you as you visit each one because you gather into your arms all those broken off bits of your soul and you're actually regathering yourself in that um, mythological descent you know as as the the myths all talk about that restoration myth that descent into the underworld to bring life to the world above and that's what sitting with your child your baby while she goes through her feelings is it's a descent into yourself a regathering of yourself and when you come back through that journey when that child <gasps> takes those little breaths at the end and <sighs> that long beautiful sound there's a particular sound that happens at the end of it and the clarity comes back in and we're all looking into each other's depths at that stage and there's nothing more beautiful in life than three souls regathering themselves into communion. It's a sacred act. It's 
not parenting. It's something that people go to church for or, or go into the forests for painted with ochre <laughs> or um, dance, you know, it's that. It's like that remembering, isn't it, to me? It's like, yes, you're a baby and I'm holding you and I'm your mother and you're a father. Uh, but really, it's like uh, we're souls and we're, we're basically saying, ah, I'm here with you. I see you. And she was literally saying the same back with her mm. presence in her eyes. Ah, you're here. You're mm. here with me. I see you. I'm here with you. We are. It's like the, the deep connection with what is the most deep in us, the presence that is presence there underneath yeah. all the other things. Yeah, not the limited presence, not the presence that isn't the past and isn't the future. This is the presence that is the past and the future. <laughs> this is the presence that is jumping into the river of life and feeling your ancestors singing behind you <laughs> and futures appearing in front of you and possible, you know, children's 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 up there and your father's father's mother's father's mother's crew and all of the animals associated with them singing you through this river of tears. It is literally like that, isn't it? It's like seeing up and down. It's like seeing that and feeling the, that lineage, that through the through the song, through the sound of the, the tears and the feelings. And I think that's why I really called it the the sweet spot. Is 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 when a baby or child is in that full expression of their feelings, where they really they feel our presence, and we are willing, and we have capacity. There's something about that which is like singing a song. It's so beautiful. And of course it isn't if we feel worried or we have our own feelings showing up, or our own younger parts. But once we have enough experience to go like we did after that first time, like mm. the clear evidence, the clear, um, you know, she showed us that that was one of the most helpful things for her, that she returned to who she really is that yeah. presence, that alive presence in the room, the soul that she is and that she's come here yeah. to be. The agitation came out of her the, body, the, the distraction came out of her eyes, the, the glow came back into her skin, you yes. know, all of these beautiful signs. That um, that was our evidence-based approach. And it, it is, I mean, it is, and that's why... <laughs> Always when I was working more with aware parenting with parents, I'd always say, no, don't do this because I tell you or because you read Aletha Salter's wonderful work. It's like if it resonates with you and you have a yes and a willingness to, to meet your baby or your child in this way, hmm. observe them before and during and after. And that's the only way we can get reassurance. Hmm. And to me, it was as clear as day. And we had probably thousands of that experience through their uh, both mm. her and through our son's uh, infancy and early childhood and younger years of the, the absolute clearness that through us being present meeting them in our presence and our love and our willingness to sit there with them in those deepest feelings that they were would come out the other side uh, 
deeply connected, deeply loving, deeply present, deeply cooperative. A number of times they'd be a little bit agitated or antsy and they'd have the big cry and we'd be with them and they'd come out and they'd be mm. the gaze, you know, as once they got verbal, you know, I love you, mummy, or just the, yeah. the love that exuded yeah. from them. And I, I think for me, that's the, the, what has given me the most true and profound, again, evidence of who we really are as human beings that 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 old paradigm the colonized domination paradigm that's been going on for thousands of years that we are as you were saying that we are born sinful and that we need to be coerced punished all of those things in order to be helpful is mm. fundamentally not true because we saw through that experience over and yeah. over again with our children that's simply through meeting their needs as much as we could and listening to their feelings as much as we could that they were present uh happy smiley connected they wanted to contribute and cooperate they were once we had sunny they were completely in love with each other there was they were just gentle with the, the animals and they could see clearly and just all of those things that it's that is mm. our true nature as human beings and yeah because we didn't train them into that we didn't say say please and thank you and maybe we should have said no 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 no, 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 no. sonny's always saying please and and, and sorry and sorry i didn't eat you i didn't eat all this because you know and i always say to him sweetheart and i love that you listen to your body but we never ask them to do you know i remember so often we go to a Restaurant. Yeah, I was thinking the same the thing. That restaurant in, in Bangalore. In the Bangalore. In the oh, I remember the one at the. Um... And then, and <laughs> then there was, there was a few places actually. <laughs> Everywhere. It happened a few times that people come up and go, "Excuse me, um, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but your children seem remarkably well behaved. We never seen that. They just sat there the whole time while you had dinner, very quietly and very still. What? You know, they, they must have thought that we'd done the most archaic sort of punishment parenting and we'd trained them into yes. this behaviour and they were probably thinking that they were scared stiff to make a sound in case they got punished when they got home. And I, and that, I don't ever remember what we said. We probably didn't say we much. We just kind of laughed and smiled and yeah. we, we'd like giggle to each other because we're like, yeah, they've, you know, they've had both had a big cry today they're so naturally relaxed in their bodies of course they're calm and still yeah. and <laughs> they come back to themselves after three hours of howling and screaming <laughs> people would have been horrified wouldn't they? wasn't three hours by the time they're all i do want to just let the listeners know yeah. it wasn't three hours every day but um sometimes in younger days it was a lot it was mm. a lot of listening but there's something about that isn't there that um that that just how wonderful it was to be with them. I mean, it is still now, but of course it's different when they're older, but as younger beings, it's so also really enjoyable to hang out with very relaxed, any age beings, but they were so, I also remember another story would used to go, there was a shop in Byron that used to have really lots of delicate teapots and China. Yeah. And we'd go in there and you could see the shopkeeper going, the, the, the fear yeah. on her face of this like a two-year-old and a four-year-old or right. going in and and they go in there and they'd be just like rearranging things and putting things and delicately you know they were because again that's our natural state is presence and awareness and capacity to know where our body is in space and time so you know all of the things that we think are inherent about children are not are, are not 
again based on that they're based mm. on that inaccurate perception of who children are and that and that mm. not understanding that what that is is an accumulation of painful feelings that is not our true state the well, agitation that, yeah, the hitting, self-fulfilling the prophecy open. that if you view them as being these agitated things that need to be controlled because they're crazy wild children and you terrible know, twos all that stuff <laughs> then that's how you see this state and such a disservice to these amazing beings that come to us to really help us decolonize and and remember who we really are yeah and i was also <laughs> thinking about like how we all wind out of our center sometime we go out of our center we go into a lost part of ourselves or younger parts younger parts or all that stuff and and we all wobble out and if we can have a way of coming back to each other and the indigenous men that I worked with in the mythopoetic men's group. Yes. Would you be willing to explain? Because, uh, you know, I know um, coming into aware parenting for you, you'd already, as you said, you'd already, you've already done lots of crying and wailing. So I'd love to hear Mm. if you also share a bit more about the, the, what that was and where that was, anything that you want to share that. Yeah, it's, um, it's a it's a sort of a journey back to the center from feeling broken and feeling lost and and you know children get lost adults get lost we're constantly finding ourselves and thinking ah oh, i've got it all worked out now and then you next day you're lost again and but more and more if you have little ways and communities to help you bring yourself back to yourself then um, that's helpful. That's what I'm involving myself with still now. Um, so I interrupted you. I'm so yeah. sorry. You're going to see, you were talking about the indigenous men that you worked with in that mythopoetic movement. Yeah. So um, I had a friend in, in London. I was working in mental health. Um, this is before becoming a dad before, before coming to a dad before yeah. moving so it's probably in my 20s through to my 30s and um i had a friend who was a journalist and she interviewed this guy and she said oh i think you'd really like this person michael and it's very interesting um here's his number and so i just phoned him up not knowing anything about him and said my friend Rose, who's a journalist, says, you're very interesting and I should meet you. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. Um, okay, well, come around tomorrow at one o'clock and uh, here's my house. And sent around and he was a Scottish rock star or something like that, um, Jackie Levin. And I rocked up there and went into his house and he made a cup of tea and we sat at the table and um, he took out a notepad and started asking me, lots of things about myself and making little notes <laughs> and um, we had a sort of hour chat and and then at the end he said okay I think you passed the test we need somebody like you to come and join our group and, and um, we're going to do a retreat next week and you're on the organizing committee and um, and we're going to go down to Devon and spend four days with poets and indigenous medicine men and and a hundred men and i was like great um and so that's how it started 
I don't know if I remember ever hearing that part of the story before. Yeah, and so about a week later, there I was um, buried um, (laughs) in an English kitchen country garden with just my head sticking out, laughing my head off with people crying, other people. There were lots of little heads that were also (laughs) sticking out of the thing amongst the carrots and cabbages. (laughs) And uh, it was... Growing new humans. Utterly crazy. And um, we'd all been put there by the, the indigenous man, uh, Maladoma Somme, Maladoma meaning friend of the enemy, the man who was kidnapped by Jesuits from his African tribe and um, brought up by them in a sort of domination, sick kind of, you know, we've all heard about the abuses of these types of things that happen and found his way back to his tribe age 14 just by walking hundreds of miles through the bush and they saw this little face appear out of the bush and recognized him as the three-year-old that had been stolen away and they had a big meeting about whether that was um whether it was too dangerous to let him back into the community now that he'd had this other story sung into him from the domination culture and that that story coming in with that young man could destroy the village and they narrowly decided that probably they should give him a chance and he went through a series of initiations and anyway the life of the village in indigenous culture is managed in very careful ways and um one of the things they say, incidentally, is that um, they are terrified of men who do not cry. And if there's a man that doesn't cry and won't cry in the village, um, they would not, they couldn't keep that person in the village. It would be too terrifying because he would destroy the village. And so he can't believe, Maladoma cannot believe that a lie like men shouldn't cry or grown men don't cry can survive in a culture. And, and it's, it's killing our culture, obviously. It's ki- killing our culture. It's destroying ecologies. It's destroying our viability to live on this planet. Um, and we have to return to ourselves and return to harmony through the release into the earth of what's poisonous in us. And so on this gathering of a hundred men in Devon through participating in story and finding ourselves in the story and then building a ritual village in the forest over four days and men sharing their hurts and their brokenness and their lostness and and their imagination and their their songs and sharing their lives in this in this beautiful way and finding themselves in this story and the story that we all have of ourselves and the stories of our culture and the stories that have persisted through thousands of years, finding our place in there and seeing the struggles that we face. And Maladoma observed us all in that. And he said, well, the ritual we need to do here is grief ritual. 
And the reason we need to do a grief ritual is because I've never seen so much grief in a room in my life before. And it's got to be the first opening um, into out in a life and our community life. And what takes the poison out of people and purifies it is the element of the earth. And so when we went into the earth and stayed there for as long as the earth needed to cook us and transform what was in us, there was a lot of different reactions. And some people needed to laugh and others needed to wail and cry and some people needed to shout and be angry. And all of these heads were interacting with each other in this, in this crazy <laughs> <laughs> scene. Um, and we did it in shifts, so we had 33 men and being buried. 33 all at once. And then, wow. and then there were 33 attendants. So there was an attendant at each grave, so we call it a grave. And um, Is that because it's also releasing what's... Yeah, something that needs to die in us. Yeah. You can't... You can't um, you can't transform yourself by adding things. So, you know, it's that myth of the, the, the destroyer, the maintainer and the giving of birth. And that's a cycle that needs to happen. And, and in our culture, we tend to neglect that part that needs to die. But we all need to die daily. Um, there's a Taoist practice called daily dying. Where you go through the the difficult parts of your day and and um, just consider how, how you felt and how you might have been disappointed with yourself and how you acted and how you want to re-engage your intention and what those intentions are and and start the new day. But um, so that... So was it 33 and 33? What were the other 33 doing? Oh, they were probably resting or maybe they were the ones that had just dug it. Um, mm -hmm. But we went, there was 108 eventually. And that was a strange, I mean, that's a kind of cosmic number, 108. It if you is. do yoga, all this sort of thing. And when I first came to this area, I was sat at a beach. We had a party and I talked to this old guy with long grey beard. And he just turned to me and out of the blue he said, oh, I've buried 108 people. <laughs> and I said to him, that's interesting. So have I. <laughs> and then we had to explain ourselves because I think we, we shocked each other in that casual conversation on the beach. And, um, and I said, what do you mean you buried 108 people? <laughs> he said, oh, I did this, you know, indigenous Aboriginal ritual um, over the years. And over the years I've buried 108. And I went, well, I just did it all at once with an African ritual. And, um, and then uh, uh, a couple of weekends later, there I was doing a, a burial ritual up in a up in the forest of Hewenbrook. Um, a sort of much deeper process, as it turned out, because there's a couple of ways to bury yourselves, and there's a shallow burial or a deep burial. And in the deep burial, there's a more intense process happens, and that. Um, that intense process I did with Pete actually. You remember Pete did that? And, th and there was a couple of girls and there was another man 
Anyway, the girls and the other man popped out pretty early. They were in the shallow graves. But Pete and I had sort of dug ourselves into like a semi-standing seated position and there was no getting out of that unless you got dug out. Um, it was an incredible process and I ended up being given a lesson in compassion and suffering by what turned out to be the voice of the trees or the tree spirits or the tree roots. And after suffering cold and suffering pain, your sit bones kind of spear up through your body. It's an interesting experience. You get to sort of the peak of pain and then you pop out into this, into this no form, this liminal space, this then black, incredibly comfortable, warm space, no more pain, no more cold. And then you're basically in the cinema then. And then whatever spirits want to talk to you will talk to you. And, and I was shown uh, like movies of, of incredible suffering from a child cutting its finger to people being blown up with bombs to arguments between people, just every different type of suffering minor to major you could possibly imagine and then came in the the voice of what i believe was the roots of the trees and they told me that what we see is this partial suffering as a tree gets chopped down but the roots are all uh, the real unit is the community of spirit and if one part dies and then knows that's going to come back in and feed the community and so there's a way to hold in your heart the suffering of yourself and others that is in community with the solidity and grandeur of the earth and returning to the earth returning to the mother is something that gives you great power and a sense of nobility in your own soul and helps to um, return you from the fearful atomized state that I often fall into, you know, as our culture sings its loud song. The news is one of the songs it sings. This people have been blown up. These people are doing this. This is going to lead to disaster. This blah, 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 and Facebook and all of that, that song of um, loose annihilation and mutually assured destruction and fighting over scraps of meat like dogs around dustbins, that song. Um, which we really need to disenchant ourselves and our children from and re-enchant ourselves with some of those lovely older myths about daily dying and coming in to be held in loving arms. And for a child, that's the loving arms of the parent that is welcoming all of their big feelings, raw, big feelings and telling them that those things are welcome in the world and leading to whole children. I think you have two things that I'd love to um, 
attend to. One is rites of passage for men and women in terms of moving into parenthood. I wanted to mark the other one before I forget it. Oh, yes, the other one was um, the experience you had of being held by men one time when you raged. Right? So can we remember that? Would you be willing to remember yeah. that one? Um, so, so what I tend to, my thoughts are in working with mothers over a lot of years is that um, the process of birth itself for women into motherhood is the right, a rite of passage. Mm. And I think there's something about that that seems to support mothers to move into yes. aware parenting more easily than, than yeah. it seems to me that dads find in this culture because yeah. we are transformed through you know when you and it came to me actually when you're talking mm. about sitting in the um the all the feelings of being buried mm. and you know to birth the birthing experience being to in whatever mm. way it is of a, an experience of moving through something that is physically incredibly intense mm. and mm. meeting that in the place and i know for me the the births and the uh the we also i don't like the word miscarriage but we also had a um, a 12 week old baby that that was birth was birth that we we also were together with which is also incredibly profound those three experiences for me were incredible rites of passage that really supported me to to understand my power as a woman in a way that I was a completely different person mm. and you would I mean you saw me from the outside mm. so I don't know what that was like from the outside but um there's something that because in our culture for most men they don't get that rite of passage and being a father in a way mm. and I kind of saw it from you as well it, it wasn't really that different in some ways but because you'd already been through mm. all these rites of passage and you'd you'd been held and you had cried and I think that then you could come into aware parenting and listen yeah. in ways that felt really natural to you because you've done it. Yeah. Um, and also the experience you had of being held. I don't know. Do you want to say anything about either of those Yeah, well, maybe things? we'll t take a, a little um, diversion into that very important topic of fathers and how to how to be able to listen to your child's feelings, um, to listen to your child's inner life and be able to be there and descend with your child into that part of yourself to be able to be with that. Because many people, and it, it's a, almost a joke, um, talk about oh the crying just can't stand the sound of crying and you know uh, the sort of treating feelings as this sort of horrible interruption of um of looking at facebook or this horrible interruption uh, of concentrating on buying some a other new thing. um mower <laughs> yeah some sort of going to it's it's, it's an inconvenience and it's um it's rude uh and it's you know it'll get you chucked off a bus in in england if your child's crying really yeah really you don't remember that it was all that stuff about yeah the bus bus driver throwing the woman off because she couldn't control her child because it was crying and you know yeah so this you know 
a co- how, how to be indigenous in a culture that isn't, how to be at home in your feelings and in a culture that that's incredibly just wants uncomfortable. to push those down <laughs> yes. or, you know, mention a feeling and, and it's like this great cartoon, I remember, I think it was in the Sydney Morning Herald and it, it had two frames and the first frame was a chap sitting with a beer with another chap and, and the guy, first guy is saying, Oh yeah, um, Don really likes to talk about you know how he feels and and you know get a bit real. And the other guy in the next uh, captions going, "Yeah, I hate Don too," <laughs> and it's just so true. You know, our 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 culture is oh, dear. is uh, no worries, mate. And the Aussie uh, cult, that's yeah, strange. Easy ass, sweet ass, too easy, piece of piss, piece of cake. You know, it's basically saying, she'd be right. Don't, all of it's saying, don't talk about your feelings. Whatever you do, don't ever tell me you're worried about something. (laughs) Um, and let's just keep going, Jack. And the English culture, which we've also both had experiences of being brought up in, is to me is like it's well the upper class, the stiff upper lip. It's a lot of dummies or pacifiers if you're in the states. It's a lot of a shame. There's so much in that culture, which of course is the colonized culture per, per extreme. Yeah, you know whatever you do, do not do. You know, don't let your child cry at tantrum. There's the shame around crying is so inbuilt into that colonized culture and i know it's changing but just growing up in that the, the shaming and the judgment yeah. of like actually having a fit and the fact that we even believe to me it's like i think that one day we know further down the line go how did people believe that crying was something called misbehavior in other words I mean miss bad like miscarriage bad mm. wrong evil you know, this, the paradigm of wrongness, mm. that feeling, I mean, just, I, I'm sometimes find it incredulous that we, uh, that we could possibly have fallen in under the spell into the story of number one, that there is such a thing as being bad or wrong or misbehaving. And number two, that feelings would be, would fit into that category. Well, it makes it incredibly it's, hard for a father to, to, um, to engage in away parenting, it makes it very, very hard um, because the culture is telling that man that even if he believes that feelings are good or feelings are wholesome, natural, normal, that um, that he'll be judged, and and that's why it's so important that men come into community with other men um, and support each other to go through the journey of awareness, aware parenting, awareness of your inner life. Um, a lot of people don't know they've got an inner life. They think it, you know, it's living by reaction, really. Oh, he's an idiot. Oh, he's a dick. Oh, what a wally. You know, all this sort of stuff. He got me off. What's he like? Oh, he's this, he's that. And, you know, it's not a language of, yeah, he must have been going through some heavy stuff or, oh, yeah, he was clearly not in his centre today. He was, you know, he was feeling a lot of shame or, um, you know, and the flavour of a man's pain can be tasted by how he hurts 
other men. And oh, do you want to say that again? I have tingles. The flavor of a man's pain can be tasted by observing how he hurts other men. Oh, wow. And so in my Tai Chi practice, I've been doing Tai Chi as a martial art for 30 years, very deep practice and constantly learning, keep going through the spirals of learning. But the principle when you're attacked in Tai Chi is you learn to, first of all, don't react and push back. So you move with the force. That means you have to learn to contract your front foot, not your back foot. So you're not going towards the force that's coming towards you, but with it. And in giving yourself that time, you can begin to understand and taste that quality of attack that's coming towards you. And you've got to throw most of that energy away and off your center. But after a while, you can learn to take part of that attack in and take it down to the ground through alignment with gravity, through relaxed, loose joints, through trust in your own training. You can do that. And that force that comes in can be tasted. It has a flavor. And how that comes in is how you're going to deal with how you're going to deal with it. And it, it's interesting in the martial art, it pulls the other person out of their center because they're expecting to meet resistance. And when you're pulled out of your center, you're also pulled out of the ground. And there's no power when you're out of the ground. All of our power comes from the ground. If you hang somebody up by a a harness and get them to try and push something away from them or push anyone they can't so all of our power comes from the earth all of our power comes from the mother and in tai chi it says know the father but keep to the mother so when you take this force this punch this kick down through your body into the ground you're also pulling the other person out of the ground and they will then try to get back to the ground because they're going to hit the ground. So they get try to get stability. And if you have a better relationship with the ground than they do, then they basically make you the leader of their body. And then you can lead them around or throw them or drop them or whatever. And so when somebody offends you, or attacks you or hurts you with their words or their behavior. Um, you can learn a lot by tasting what that flavor is. And if that person has tried to shame you by talking over you or, or put you down in some way or um, trying to make you feel a bit wobbly and you think to yourself, how does that feel? Oh, that, that hurts me because it, I feel like some sense of shame or something like that. And then you say, well, that's the flavor of that man's pain. That's what's on top for him. That person is, um, is not a dick or arrogant or this. That person is a man suffering from the horrible gnawing pain of shame. 
And to know this stuff can take you into that world of compassion that the tree showed me that that can enable you to not take these things personally, but see each other's pain and, and that's what makes you a good father actually, because you can see the inner life and the sufferings of your children. And that's the simple thing that helps them be whole in the world and helps their soul have a life um, in our communities. We're both in tears again. We've been in tears a few times here. <laughs> so moving, isn't it? Yeah, because there's these different layers. There's this, there's this layer of what a, what a shockingly awful world we live in um, with such a dystopian future panning out. And, and yet within that is this sort of understanding of how to return to the centre, how to return to wholeness, how to live in beauty together and live in communion and there's this other story played out on the news and and through these you know through these meeting places actually that encourage reactivity and sensationalism and you know Sex and violence is what gets attention and attention is the unit of commerce. And if we can get your attention, we can trick you into buying something because you're so lost, you think you need all this stuff and that will feed your hungry ghost that's actually ruling your life if you don't know who you really are. And all these men have got their ladders up the wrong wall. And when they get to the top and they look down, they're like, shit, <laughs> spent 40 years going to this wrong place. Anyway. No, anyway, it's so, so touching. And I think for me, when you talked about the meeting of the flavor, the flavor of the other part, the man's pain, that's so beautiful. And I think about not only that, but I also hear a lot for dads, as particularly if they have sons and particularly when they get to that to like three three or four years and if the if the son does any kind of thing whether it's maybe moving into aggression or not or not stopping when the dad says no and we're so often that the con the cultural conditioning of the dad comes in um to want to punish or use power over because that was yeah. what was done to it's them such a strong like even for me all this work i've done all of these wise words i speak i'm still an idiot um no you're not Michael. well i am in in in, in reactivity you know it's 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 amazing how a, a moment can capture you into reactivity and and this you know wise part of myself can dissolve and you know that happens less and less and less but it is an incremental journey into stabilizing 
what you what you know and value into action and the first part of it is through reflection and and um you know you might capture that moment a week later and then it might be you know gradually after a few years a day later and then <laughs> gradually you know uh, um, an hour later, a minute later, and and then maybe you can do it in the first few seconds and head it off. So yes. it's um, it is a constant journey to yeah to return to what's wholesome, what's nurturing, what's loving, love and will. Love and will. I still want to, I would still would love for people to hear the story of when you were held by the men. But I also would love to say one other thing. I'd love to hear your perspective on it because I'm not sure if we've really talked about it before, which is a dynamic, again, in a way, parenting families I often see or my interpretation. So I'd love to hear your perspective where often it, it can tend to be the mum more who's got into aware parenting perhaps first and has perhaps read more of the books or done mm. more of the courses yeah. and yeah. No, it's like right. doing that wanting yeah. to wanting to bring this way in yeah. for whatever reasons I think perhaps because of birth being about the rite of passage possibly as well because our cultural conditioning means that we often mean less shamed for our tears yes maybe shamed for our or shut down when we felt outrage as as girls but there's somehow often it seems to be more at the moment the mums who who want to bring it into the family. Gross generalisation, I know. And I often seem to see a dynamic that I perceive, which is the mum so wanting the dad to respond with mm. compassion when the child is crying or when the son is hitting or when the uh, whatever it is. Mm. And, but coming in, and also particularly, of course, and I know for me, being mm. when I was a younger mum, I'm sure there are many times I spoke to you in a way that was not was also coming from perhaps my little girl parts who wanted my dad to hear me, and so I probably didn't come yeah. in very skillfully because I wasn't coming from my adult woman yep. self. Yep. And then it seems to be then a dynamic happens that then dads go into the little boy who's being shamed by her mum mm. by his mum and, and the mum's. Hearing the words, you know, you're not doing it right, you're not doing it good enough, you're doing it wrong again. And so mm. it seems to me this dynamic between the the woman who's in the little girl who wants to, dad to, to be able to meet her and her feelings and the, the man who becomes the little boy who's being shamed or rejected by his mother. And I'm wondering if that resonates in any way with what, or maybe even what you experienced with us in younger, earlier years. Yeah, I'm just, my mind's going to a couple of things. One is that recently I've heard where the man is the one that oh. is aware and really, really leading the process of coming into aware parenting and and the woman is um, coming along more slowly. And that's kind of encouraging in a way. Um, and there are up here in the Northern Rivers some really amazing communities of men, and some of these um, lost men are being gathered into these communities, and there's there's lots of entry points now. Um, so that's really encouraging. 
That's and so I also want to say, you know, from my perspective, of course, because yeah. it tends to be mothers that are drawn to my work more. So I've yeah. probably seen that more, you know, perhaps not as. But I think as, it is general, generally true that it is a thing where the. Uh, but also, it's it's a common complaint that I hear when men complain about their wives. Yeah, what is that? What is the that common one? complaint, ladies, <laughs> is women, that, lovely women, <laughs> is that um, you know I put food on the table, I do all this, I get home, I'm exhausted, I've done all that, and then I'm supposed to look after the kids. I get home and I'm just handed the kids. And or or I'm not doing enough, and the the complaint, the general complaint is, I do all this and it's still not enough. Whatever I do, it's not enough, and that kind of takes me to the the old myth of the giantess, and um, and Robert Bly, who I I worked with in that men's group, who wrote a book called Iron John. It was kind of the start of what might be called the men's movement or men's mythopoetic movement it's often called or that sounds like a sort of elitist thing but it's about men telling each other stories and um and finding themselves in stories and having a, a way to um to travel through their imagination into the struggles that we all face and find um, inspiration as to how we might navigate those um, and help each other because that's something men don't really want to do, ask for help because we're supposed to be the strong, silent type and... Um, so with that, with that yeah. um, thing around, we're not doing. We're not. Is it a need for a more acknowledgement? More acknowledgement of all that, all that you do do. Is that part of the thing? Yeah, I think. I think an acknowledgement. Yeah, you are enough. You are doing enough, and um, and I'm doing enough. But what I would like is a bit more of that. And and what would you like? Well, I like a bit more of that actually. And. And while we're feeling we're not seen or valued for what we do do, it's hard to um, to see or accept another request. Mm. Um, so I was just talking to a man I know about, Martin Prechtel, who was a Mayan shaman that I worked with. And he was responsible for initiating all the young men in a very big village. And it's big responsibility. Um, it's something that keeps the village safe, that keeps women safe, men being initiated. And he said that in his culture, they had these little, sort of like little dog boxes or little, little bird houses that sit out the front of your house. And one is... Um, for the woman and one is for the man and before you go into the house you know in in the west here we take our shoes off before we go into the house some of us um, there you take your power off before you go into the house and you leave your power in your little house and your little house has been made beautiful 
um, if you're a man, it's being made beautiful by the woman. And it's a house of honoring the masculine power. And it's a lovely little home for your power. You can tuck it in there and kiss it goodnight and go in and have a nice conversation with your woman. Or if you're a woman, you leave your power in the beautiful box that's been made by your man to honor your power as a woman. Wow. And in you go. And without your power in there, you can, you can ask for things and you can, you know, not be in that battle. And I always thought that was such a beautiful thing, a beautiful sort of structure, a little, um, a little daily ritual that, that, um, that can be a little physical thing. No, I'm also remembering, which I feel called to share. Do you remember when uh, I went to do the nine day um, intensive MVC one with Marshall Rosenberg and yep. all the other MVC trainers and Lana was two. Yep. So you came along and stayed. I did. And there was a whole lot of other things that happened there, but you camped there. Yeah. But do you remember that day where we'd been clear that I'd been clearly shown, I, I suppose it was by Marshall. I actually don't remember, but what I do remember is we stood by the campfire with the tent there. Do you remember that the exercise that we, what, what I'd been no. shown, which was, um, what I love about NVC and it's think so um, so congruent with so much in the way of parenting is we'll often say things like I think we're often couples miss each other men and women or whatever mixture of genders that is is we'll say you know I want support or I want you know I want you to help me but um, and the other person's hearing that and they're often doing what they think is support mm. but it isn't it isn't the way that is supportive for the person who's asking for it. So there's this constant missing because we're asking for something, but not, but not specific not, enough. Not specific enough. Yeah. So in that exercise, I don't know if you remember, but we actually said we took it, we took turns. So I'd say, you know, I can't even remember what it was. Maybe, you know, I want empathy. So when I want empathy, what I really would like you to do is to, you know, put your arm around me, look in my eyes and mm. nod and, and be attentive and mm. so you you do that and I'd and I let you know how, whether or not that was accurate by saying well no actually you know when you when you do that expression on your face I mm. don't see that as empathy I hear yeah. that as you're thinking about or maybe or don't pull my hair when don't you, pull my when you were saying to me and then we swapped over so I literally became who I wanted you to be and you know it's a bit hard with the height difference but I did the literal physical things that I wanted you to do by being it and showing you what I wanted. And we mm. did, and we swapped over and did the same thing. It was a really powerful mm. way to actually communicate. And again, it was really like to become in the same team to communicate clearly what we're wanting rather than just all this missing because so often we're coming from a younger part or a part that's been colonized to not ask for what we want or to not be clear about our needs or to mm. think we're being blamed or judged or whatever it is. So that, you know, the being, bringing down to really specific ways of how can we as a, as a couple or, you know, for us mm. as, as um, parenting as ex partners, whatever you call it, don't really have a label for it, but, to to stay connected because I know we've had some tricky conversations over the years, haven't we? Around 
um, particularly like um, Sunny going to your place and not really wanting to, and we've needed to have tricky, painful, challenging conversations about what I've mm. noticed over the years is we've become much more competent and most of the time staying relatively calm and expressing clearly and yeah. um, you know, so it's, it's in a way the whole process of being a parent as you were talking about is over time we become more and more we not only gain capacity but we gain clarity that's the invitation to me i see is the whole journey of being a mother or a father is that we go from being the the um the, the maiden for the woman or the the, the young man to mm. by the time our children are adults as we become the mature man and woman and it's mm. it's parenting that supports us in that journey through going through those challenges through listening to the crying through increasingly being able to meet whatever they do with compassion rather than our own younger parts or conditioning there's something mm. about the whole process that i'm so grateful as i look back on it and see how much of a different person i am from 18 and a half years of this journey and i wonder if you yeah well I, I was just thinking there uh, friend was just talking about he said 10 years ago last thing i wanted was to have kids i, I couldn't imagine anything worse and now that i've got uh, a boy a young boy and young girl i can't imagine my life without them it pales into insignificance the, mm. the journey into the depth of the love and and the way i'm growing and the, the impetus to become a more full human and a and, a, and to know myself more deeply is just, you know, gone, gone through the roof. It's just like, you know, his, heart, his heart's exploding with love. He just can't, <laughs> he shows me all these pictures. Look at him, look how beautiful he is. And I just held him and he cried in my arms. And oh my God. And, you know, this, it just explodes you into this incredible love. And, um, I remember my my Tai Chi teacher who was so amazing at Tai Chi and was doing supernatural kind of things and, you know, throwing people without, throwing me without touching me, this sort of thing. And so I just basically copied everything he did. And one of the things he did was to have children. And so... And so, even I, more specifically, what what else did he do in terms of having children? Well, he had um, <laughs> he had a boy and a girl, and then he had twins with another partner. So I copied everything, <laughs> and even wore Glunstone boots and whatever he wore, I wore. It's, you know, because when you've got a mentor, which just like it took me so long to get a mentor, I wanted one for fifteen years before that, and all I met was sort of wallies who were egotistical sort of people wanting to be mentors but this was a real mentor so i was definitely going to copy everything and he told <laughs> me that took it very yes, literally, I, I did. and he said um you've got to you gotta have kids to because it just makes you grow more than well than anything else you'll do yeah do all your tai chi and everything but yeah do your children just um they they sort of force you into pressure you pressure you into growing pressure you. <laughs> invite yeah. you invite you. <laughs> well well there's this thing in tai chi about yeah pressure dealing with pressure 
You know, yoga, you, you're in a nice quiet room and, and you're burning some incense and you've got a lovely comfy yoga mat and, you know, um, fantastic um, yoga clothing. And and if someone in the next room is doing Tai Chi and there's some thumping against the wall, you might go next door and say, excuse me, can you be quiet? I'm doing yoga. Whereas in Tai Chi, the idea is, you know, you do it in the middle of a roundabout in a city or something, because actually what you need to do is to learn to be deeply in your center in the most troubling and, and pressurized um, environments that you can possibly go into, which is why when I'd done a year of Tai Chi with this mentor that I'd found and looked for for so long, I went back to London and worked in the most challenging mental health setting that I could, um, where there was a turnover of 99 staff in nine positions in one year. And I was the last one there. And it was my year and a day. It was my mythic journey into that challenge. And the Tai Chi worked beautifully in that very high stress, violent, crazy environment. And, um, I knew that it was real then, so that's why I'm liking the word pressure. Pressure, yes, different because, things. Because, yeah, pressure. You get pressure tested. Pressure and, tested. And you try to resolve pressure without creating conflict is, is the art. So I'm wondering too as well if fatherhood be, was seen in our culture as a, as a mythic journey to become a deep deeply powerful soulful man who on the way to possibly becoming an elder that that would entirely change and support men you know you talked earlier on about our culture making it really hard for dads and fathers if it's if, if our culture honored fathering as the sacred thing is that that would make it I know this is like so obvious, of course, make it so much easier, mm. wouldn't it? Because it would be part of the something as a as a challenge to rise to rather than as a Well, I just I think, else. you know, when you're saying that, I think that men are just so atomized and 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 you know, that fifties man that came home and sat at the table and his wife was in the kitchen which was in those times a different room and she made his dinner and she gave it to him and he read the paper and his children were in a different room and his wife went off and did the dishes and all that sort of thing that was the the epitome of the atomized man um in that culture and and men still living in that sort of loneliness who don't realize that they can really deeply communicate with other men and that's what really needs to happen not 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 to just see parenting or aware parenting in the context of something you do in your uh, in your atomized home you get home from your commute and you go in and you do your aware parenting and then you go off to work the next day and you know come back and then you do it again you've got to have these sort of structures that support you and for men that would be a, a men's group and for women that's a women's group and women are much more naturally doing that sort of thing anyway but too many men end up alone in later life and they found that loneliness is worse than smoking 20 
cigarettes a day for your health. Recent studies been talking yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, and I've seen with my own father, and maybe I should say fathers being adopted, but I saw the moment when they cut off from themselves and and I saw um, I saw their eyes go hollow and there was a hollow man and I remember my father looking at me with these hollow eyes and saying you know you just you just can't win with women you can't win you've just got to shut off you've just got to cut off you just got to shut down and um and then you know that father has parkinson's disease which is a disease that is um the basal ganglion in the brain is not sending enough dopamine out so it's the thought to action pathway and when somebody looks at you with hollow eyes and says you've just got to shut off um and then you know i have a father-in-law as well that is also lonely damaged cut off and has a mystery brain disease that won't allow him to have his thought to action pathway again and and so you know there's there's consequences of loneliness and so part of your aware parenting journey is to form um listening partnerships to form healthy communities to form ways that your inner life can be blossoming in an outer life and you know community with yourself but community with other beings and seems an apt time to ask if you're willing to share that story uh, about the other men holding you because i think there's also I think for yeah. men who perhaps have, you know, to imagine the intensity of your feelings being yeah. held with loving support. Yeah, well, that that happened um, in Wales. I wasn't a father, but I had a, a dear friend who had a son um, that she was bringing up largely on her own. And she asked me if I would take her son with these lovely wise men that I joined I talked about earlier and we had our first men's and sons camp out and we went to uh, a beautiful village that had been built on the slopes of Mount um, Snowdon in Snowdonia in Wales um, by a wonderful man Eric who had was created like a, basically a an Iron Age village. Kind of looks like Hobbit huts and Iron Age houses, and but a village made from the land there, and of the land, literally with turf roofs and things like this. And I had a beautiful time there with the young man Marlon, and he still remembers it very dearly. That connection we had there, and we there was an opportunity one evening to sort of different men to share different things and one of them was um this exercise where you sort of go into a hyperventilating you know you're aware of that sort of therapy holotropic breath, holotropic breath, breath or 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 yeah. yeah so i did that and 
and I felt this rage come into my body and, and I just, I felt this incredible joy and, and feeling of release along with this rage. And, you know, in, in Taoism, in your liver is held the flowing emotion of creativity. It's the, it is the expression of spring and a bud bursting forth, but hold that bud back and it builds up a pressure that wants to explode, which feels like what we call anger. And the process of allowing that locked energy out is an expression of rage or anger. And if that can be held it can come out. I mean, most men are terrified of their rage coming out and it, it stops us in all sorts of ways unfolding our creativity into the world because we're afraid of that rage. And to let that out was so wonderful. And more and more men had to come and hold me down and hold my arms. And the more men that came on, the more rage came into my body until it became stronger and stronger. And, you know, they say the madman has the strength of 10 men. And then I threw a hundred men up into the end. I didn't, but I felt that sort of um, power come into me and it was really, really wonderful. And I actually thinking of the time where I, I actually got physically attacked and stabbed once um, when I was, when I was working. Um, I was outside a bank and this crazy man, um, stabbed me in the face and then he took my eye out and in that moment of being stabbed by this crazy man there was this part inside of me that went that just lit up it was like now you can release your rage you're being attacked you're in danger of your life and and I remember time slowing down and me forming this fist and as he leaned over me to stab me again going with my sort of martial arts trained uppercut that, that took this man off the pavement <laughs> across the first lane of traffic and into the second lane on his back with you know half his teeth missing and and I remember that it was all slow motion and I, I saw this sort of man walking with his daughters as my arm was swinging up wow. and this look of sort of horror you know come up on as this rage came out and it was this built up um, held back thing and it makes men dangerous and I noticed I was laughing of course we know in a way parenting yeah. that laughter is a release of fear because it's like yeah it's terrifying these these forces blocked up in in men and they're play, it's playing out all around the world in the most awful brutality and that's why it is behoven on us to respond to it and to take care of it and to help each other to become safe loving beings in the world to support our boys as well as our girls to support our men support our women support our boys support our girls support our babies support our elders you know and and all in that sort of matrix not 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 one ignoring another. Thank you. 
Sort of how long have we been talking? A long, we've been talking for eternity, Michael. <laughs> An hour and 20, that's quite a long conversation. It's a good conversation. Should we keep going for another two or three hours? Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> so any, anything else? I kind of I had a part of me that wanted to go, should we wrap it up? Do you want to give some any suggestions to dads or mums out there? And there's another part of me that wants to just let the story yeah, and the experience just seep in. Do you have do Yeah, you that's what I think. I, I don't want to um to make it neat or pretend that it's an answer of any sort, but just to be as it is a conversation and a few stories that might um might touch something in someone that hasn't been touched. Thank you so much. So enjoyed it. Yeah, it's great. I enjoyed the last one we had too. So, <sighs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening and so much love to you. Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.